can be seated. Well, Merry Eve before the Eve of Christmas Eve. All right. Some of you are like, you got to take your shoes off to figure that out. But it's a few days before Christmas Eve, and so we're glad that you're here. I know many are traveling to and fro. And so, again, to take a moment to pause and to reflect on who Jesus is and what he is in the person of Christ as far as the Messiah and the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Over the last few weeks, we've been studying this idea of carols and looking at some of the old songs that we've sung, O Holy Night, Emmanuel, and Away in a Manger, and this morning, more of a, a contemporary classic of Mary Did You Know, and um, actually written by Mark Lowry, who is a um, part of the Gaither family singers, and so if you've, some of you love the Gaithers, and one of the ones of kind of bringing contemporary worship songs into the church, and uh, Mark is actually a a comedian as well. He's a really funny guy. If you ever got to, to hear some of his stuff, he, he does a great job of making fun of us as Christians because we need to be made fun of more often than not because we do some pretty crazy things or think some pretty crazy things and, and to laugh at ourselves is good. So this idea of Mary, did you know, is a great question um, for us. And I think this is something that if we can think through this maybe in a little different way than in Christmas in a little different way, this can help us understand the questions that other people ask. And how can this baby born 2,000 years ago make a dramatic impact upon our life? And why would we worship? Why would we give up our Sundays? Why would we give money? Why do we do the things that we do and say because of Christians? And I think Mary is a central figure to this. And I think the question of Mary, did you know, is a central question for us as believers to to look at and to think about. And hopefully my desire is that as you walk away this morning, that because you're convinced that Mary did know, who Jesus was and what he was about, it actually helps us should solidify our faith as followers. If someone, if anyone could question the validity of Jesus' claims as the Messiah, it would be Mary and the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And all of those actually became followers of his and were in the upper room whenever Pentecost came. And they were one of the first ones to proclaim the message of salvation of what Jesus did on the cross brings new life to us. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Luke, and we'll be looking there at the story of Elizabeth and of Mary, and how Elizabeth and Mary's stories intermingle together. Now, Mary is a relative of uh, Elizabeth is a Mar- uh, relative of Mary, and these two. And Elizabeth is older, and she has not had a child yet. She's waited for a long time to have a child, and her husband Zechariah is one of the priests at the temple. And so he, at this season, is the one that has drawn the lot. He's the one that's drawn the straw to go into the Holy of Holies and to be a part of the worship for the entire people, for the Jewish people at that day. And so he goes in to worship and to light the candles and, and to be into the Holy of Holies. And people are on the outside waiting and anticipating what Zechariah would report to them that God had shared with him in that moment of personal worship, but also as a part of the corporate worship of the people. Well, in the midst of his time in the Holy of Holies, he was encountered, he encountered an angel, and the angel said to him, again, I know, Zechariah, you're late in years, I know that your wife Elizabeth is late in years, but y'all have longed for a child. Well, now the time has come, and you will be a father, and she will be a mother. And he said, how can this possibly be? which is a legitimate question to ask when you get a little bit older. How can some of these things that may be normal for younger people, why are you doing this? And so because of that question, because of the doubt in that question, actually the angel says to him, you will not speak until your child is born. But prior to that, he said, your child's name will be the name of John. And so 
Um, whenever it was time for him to talk to his wife and she found out she was pregnant, he said, I knew this. And then he wrote down the, the son's name. And so there came a time where she was to give birth. But in the meantime, before John the Baptist was born, an angel came to visit Mary. And here's this where we join the story. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, just for a moment, that part there, a descendant of David, is an important piece because that's a part of the prophecy that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come from the lineage of King David. And so there, the author there, Luke, whose details are extremely important to Luke, he's making sure that we understood that important part that this virgin is about to have a child that's of the lineage of, of David. The virgin's name was Mary or Miriam, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. You can imagine if you're a young lady and you're kind of going about your business and all of a sudden an angel shows up, uh, it would kind of startle you. And we've seen that over the last few weeks. Every time an angel shows up, one of the first things they say is, do not fear or do not be afraid. Because you understand that in that moment that when an angel shows up, you're actually literally in the presence of the Lord, that the Lord has sent this angel, and so here Mary understands that this is a moment of worship. Everything has changed in this moment because she's encountering and speaking with an angel. So she's greatly troubled at the words and what kind of greeting this might be in verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, for someone who's a virgin, this is a very appropriate next question that she asks in verse uh, 34. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? And the Lord answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord, from God, will ever fail. Verse 38, a response. Here's a young lady that Mary at this day and age, most of the ladies that were getting married were between the ages of 14 and 18. They're young ladies. And so here she is as a young lady, a teenager, who's had an encounter with God through an angel and says to her, hey, listen, you're about to have a child. And she's, you imagine the emotions and the confusion and the thoughts of how am I going to tell Joseph? How am I going to tell my parents? What are people going to think? And all the different things about that. And so here she's in this moment. And what would our natural response be for most of us is no thank you. And here's a lady's response, a young woman who loves God. Here's what she said. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now that's the response that we would hope that we would have is, is God that you have called me, you have spoken a specific word to me, and you want me to do something, you want me to respond. What I should be doing is, God, this is not my life, this is not my desire. I'm doing what you have asked me to do because of what you have given me. I am blessed to have this opportunity. And that's Mary's 
response, a teenager's response to the call of God. In verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has relieved that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Now, they haven't had a conversation yet. They weren't tweeting. They weren't texting or anything like that. They hadn't called. She literally, Mary, shows up in the very moment that she speaks. There's confirmation with her in her own womb that Mary is carrying the Messiah. Can you imagine Mary, even just the confirmation and the comfort and that her, her relative Elizabeth's and her words to her of, listen, you are a woman that is blessed because you are carrying the Messiah. Again, I'm sure there's still doubts. I bet that's probably the reason that as soon as she'd had this encounter with the angel, what's she going to do? She's going to go get verification. She's going to trust but verify, right? And so the very first thing she does is she gathers up her stuff and she goes and she checks out with Elizabeth. And the very first thing as she begins to speak, Elizabeth comes back and says, it is true. The one that's in your womb is the Messiah. That question of Mary, did you know? If there is anyone that would have a shadow of doubt, if there is anyone that could call that into question, it would be Mary herself. But we can see through the book of Luke, if you were to study this on your own, hopefully in the next few weeks, Luke was a doctor and he was very much into details. And so the very reason that he wrote the book of Luke, he tells us, is that I want the lovers of God, the Theophilus, those that love God, I want them to know and to see the details of the stories of God's life. Jesus' life that maybe some of the others haven't had the ability or the time to be able to share with you. And so Luke sit down, sits down with eyewitnesses, and one of those eyewitnesses is Mary, the mother of Jesus. So as you read through the book of Luke, there's little hints here and there of where Mary says to Luke some things. And so it even says, Luke would say, and so Mary cherished these things close to her heart, which shows us throughout the book of Luke, that we can see the childhood, we can see the young man that he's becoming, and we see him become the Messiah. He is the Messiah, but see him come to fruition through his ministry as the Messiah. And you can see all along the way of Mary's encouragement, of Mary's understanding of who he is, and how she understands that she is nothing special other than she's blessed to be the mother of the Messiah, and that her salvation comes through the person of Jesus as well. That she is Mary, a woman, 100% human, who has received a call by God and that she has said, I will do what you've asked. The same call that Abraham received, the same call that Moses received, the same call that Esther received, the same call that Ezekiel received, the same call that you have received as a follower of Jesus, that God has called you out and spoken a specific word to you. Mary has received that call as well, that she is a woman who has been blessed by God, and because of that unique calling, we place her at a place of prominence, but she's not to be worshipped and placed above Jesus. Jesus himself is fully God and fully man, and he and he alone is at the right hand of the Father mediating on our behalf. 
He's the one groaning and speaking on her behalf. Mary herself, when she died, she died. She's a physical being, and she will be raised and resurrected just like you and I will be at the time of the resurrection. Mary, as a woman, was fully human and received a call like Abraham and Moses and Rahab and others. She's no different than you and I, other than the special uniqueness of her opportunity of giving birth. One of the beautiful things about uh, Mary is, is that in her, the f- verses following this, in verse 46 and following, she begins to sing a song. And she sings the song of Hannah, which you can see in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. And Hannah's song is one of celebration of the fact that Hannah had the opportunity to give birth to Samuel, who was going to be a prophet. And, and God had blessed her late in her age. And here Mary sings that same song and says, I get to be the mother of the Messiah, the anointed one. And so the, the songs and praises that she grew up with, she began to celebrate and to praise us as well. Mary was a wonderful lady who had a great opportunity. And all throughout her life, you can see throughout Luke and others that she is there whenever Jesus is at the great times, the feeding of the 5,000, but also at the lowest times at the cross, that Mary is there with them and following along. If anyone could question the validity of the anointed one, the validity of the Messiah, the validity of Jesus being the Son of God, it was Mary. And all throughout the New Testament, we see that Mary was there, and she was one of those ones that was one of the ladies along with the other disciples that was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning and growing. And she herself had to receive salvation through her Son, also the Son of God, on the cross. Mary, did you know? I think she knew more than anyone else could possibly know. She understood Jesus and she saw him grow and and saw him grow in wisdom and, and, and in stature and along the way. And even at the cross, the agony of the cross, she didn't run away. She proclaimed, this is the Messiah, the anointed one. Mary, did you know that Jesus was 100% man? I believe she did. She was there, right? She would understand. She would have given birth to him. And so she understood the humanity of what it meant for Jesus to be 100% man. He came in flesh, that he literally emptied himself, as Philippians 2 tells us, he emptied himself of the rights of being God and placed himself in the confinements of human flesh. He's actually, if anything, being him 100% human, he's the only human that has experienced what it means to be human without failure. He's been completely perfect. But he's also experienced all the emotions and all the struggles that we experience. The scripture tells us he was hungry. He was tired. He was angry. He was frustrated. He wept. He had compassion. All the different emotions, all the different things that we struggle with and, and wish that weren't a part of our life were a part of Jesus' life so that he could literally experience what it meant to be in our flesh, in flesh with us, and walk the same steps and to struggle with the same things that we struggle with so that he could be a great high priest, that as he sits at the right hand of the Father and that those moments that we express our frustration, as the moments that we have anger, those moments that we're hungry and tired and that we're at the end of ourselves, the end of our physical abilities, Jesus can say, I've been there. I needed to take a nap. I needed to rest. I needed to go away. Even myself as God in flesh, I emptied myself of the rights of God so that I could walk amongst you. He was 100% man and experienced all the things, the good and the bad, 
that we experience. Not only was he 100% man, but he was also 100% God. He again emptied himself, and so he didn't do some of the things that he could maybe possibly do, but he emptied himself. But in the midst of his ministry, he gave hints along the way. And he would say, I and the Father am one. And, of course, the religious leaders of the day understood whenever he was talking about that, he was saying that I am the I am, and he equated himself with God the Father. And so the religious leaders began to pick up stones and and to want to attack him because they understood he was making claims of godship. And so Jesus, throughout his ministry, would drop hints here and there that he was the Messiah and the Anointed One. And every time that he would do that, the religious people would say, there's no way that you're the Anointed One. You haven't come in the way that we anticipated. You weren't born in a palace. How can you be the King of Kings? You're not even a king. You came from Nazareth, and nothing good comes from Nazareth. So Jesus is dropping hints along the way. And even one of the high priests, they say to him, we ask you this question. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. In Matthew 26, and he says, you have said so. You have made that claim. But I say to all of you, right now, you see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus, not only at those moments, appropriate moments, dropped hints that he was the Messiah, but also we saw it throughout his life and ministry. One of the very first things that he did, his disciples, they were out doing ministry together, and a storm came along, and Jesus was taking a nap. And his disciples were a little frustrated with Jesus because he was sleeping through a storm, and they were getting a little afraid and scared. And so they woke him up and said, Jesus, do you not see what's happening? And he says, what's happening? He looks out and he sees the waves, and the disciples are like, we're going to die. And so he yells out, stop. And the waves stop. Any of y'all tried that? That's God stuff. It was all powerful. And in that moment, whenever he said stop, his disciples began to see this guy that we're following around. He's not like John the Baptist. He's not like Elijah. He's not some of those other. He teaches with an authority like no one else. And he has authority over creation like no one else has ever had before. Not only did he have the power over nature, but he had power over disease. One of the things that he would do, he would go around and as he was healing people, he was healing them, healing them from blindness, healing them from leprosy, all through that power of touch. And even if he could, from distance, he didn't even have to touch, he could say to them, your son will be healed, and it was miles away, and the son would be healed. He had power not only nature, but he had power over disease, the attributes and quality that only God could have. And even then, whenever his best friend Lazarus died, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Lazarus' friend Lazarus was so dead that King James said that he stinketh. He'd been that dead. He was dead, dead, deader than a doornail. He kicked the bucket. He stinketh. And Jesus wept over that, that he'd lost his friend. But he called out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Again, an attribute of his godship that God could bring someone that was dead back to life. He was all-powerful. Not only that, but he was all-knowing. We see several times in the New Testament that people would come up and they would begin to ask him questions. And he could sense it in their spirit, in his spirit, that they were going to question him. And so he would just say, stop. And he would fulfill and ask and say, you're going to ask me this. And like, how did you know that? And you want to say, well, I'm God. Actually, he goes, you guys just keep coming to me with the same questions over and over and over again. But again, an attribute of God is to know the hearts and minds of his people. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Mary knew Jesus well. 
again, as we look through the book of Luke, we see moments where Mary says, I cherish these moments in my heart. One of the first things that she cherished in her heart was after Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph took their son Jesus to the temple after the eighth day to have him circumcised, and they presented him in the temple, and two prophet, a prophet Simeon and a prophetess Anna, who had been told by the Lord that they would not die until they saw the Messiah, the anointed one, they Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple and they present them there before Simeon and Anna and both of them weep out and cry out and say, this boy of yours is the Messiah. Salvation will come through Yeshua, your son, Jesus. And it says in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph cherished this truth, cherished this moment in their heart. A little bit later on, Mary and Joseph had gone to town to the temple to worship, and there was a big crowd of them, and they were going back to Nazareth on their way back to Nazareth that they had lost track of the teenage Jesus. Can you imagine that? And so Jesus was hanging out with his friends, they thought, and they're like, he'll catch up to us. But after a few days, he didn't come home, and they began to worry. And where was he at? And so they ran back to Jerusalem to find him, and there he was in the temple. And he'd reached the age of adulthood of about 13 for a young man. And at that point, as a young man, a Jewish young man, he could sit in the temple with the other men and listen to the teaching and discuss theology. And so there he was at the age of 13, sitting down among other men. The scroll had been opened up, and he was teaching with authority and wisdom that other men were asking the question, who is this Jesus? How can he teach with this authority, with this wisdom? He's only a young man. And about that time, his mother and father entered the temple, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing here? And he responds to them, where else would I be but being about my father's business in my father's house? And Mary says, Joseph and I cherish these things in our heart. And it tells us in Luke that Jesus continued to grow. As he grew, he grew in wisdom and strength and in stature. And the people understood and saw that there was something different about this boy, about this young man named Jesus. And even in John chapter 2, as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, disciples are gathering around him. And in John chapter 2, he's at a, at a wedding. He's been asked to, to be a part of the wedding that Mary and the family are there. And, and weddings of that day were different than weddings of today. Weddings of today, we spend a whole lot of money, and it's over in a day, right? And so this in Jesus' day, these were week-long celebrations where families would gather together, and it was an entire week of celebrating and partying and enjoying the time to get together. And so here's a group of people. They're there for a week. It's been a few days, and, and Mary's the mother of Jesus looks at Jesus and says, hey, listen, they've run out of wine. Jesus says, and? And Mary says, make some more. And Jesus has this term of endearment for Mary, and he says, woman, which means, mom, I love you. It really does. And I'll do it out of respect for you. If anyone knew Jesus better than Mary, who could it be? And she's the one that introduces us to Jesus. She says, I have seen him grow up. I have seen who he is. And in John chapter 2, she introduces the world to us. And the beginning of his ministry starts with his mother saying to us, this is the Messiah, the anointed one. And it may seem like something small to turn water into wine. But he did it. Filled up the cask of water, filled it to the brim, and the servants dipped that water and pulled it out, and it was the choicest of choice wine. 
And when he took it to the grand marshal of the party, they drank from it. And they said, usually the first, the best wine comes out first. And at this point, people are so full of the opportunities and full of the experience. It doesn't matter what the wine tastes like. But you have brought out the best wine. The Messiah, the anointed one, doesn't do second junk, doesn't do leftovers. He only does the best. And the beauty of even that miracle is is that wine is a symbol of joy and of new life. And so the very miracle that Mary asked of Jesus is to turn water into wine, that that water is a living body, and that's why we baptize in water, because it it brings new life. But also the fullness of that is that the wine, is the, the grape of wine, is that there's a new life and there's joy in the life and the ministry of Jesus and that he is the anointed one and the very reason that he has come for new life and joy and peace. And that the beauty of the wedding celebration, of the bride and the groom coming together and the covenant that they made together, there's so much truth and symbolism in that moment that Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew her son and said, this is the moment. This is the moment that ministry, your public ministry begins. And then, of course, at the end, after Jesus' death and burial Jesus says to the disciples and the others around and says, there's one more thing I want you to do for me. Before I go, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. And they waited for several days, and Mary was one of those, and James, his brother, and some of his other family members were part of this group. They waited in a room in Jerusalem for several days. They prayed and they waited. And that moment of Pentecost, the Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 2 and following, that Mary and James and Peter and John and all the other disciples, as they began to speak in tongues so that others can hear the gospel truth, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of the first ones to proclaim the gospel truth, that salvation comes through no one else. Even for me, the mother of Jesus comes through no one else than the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Mary, did you know? I think she knew better than anyone else. The question is for us. Do we know? Can we believe, can we understand that the brothers and sisters and mother of Jesus, if anyone could have doubted the validity of the Messiahship and who Jesus was, it was those. But instead, they literally gave their lives for this son and brother that they did life with. For us, so removed from time from that moment, if nothing else, it should convince us that this guy's Jesus is something radically different to consider, that he could very well be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Do you know who Jesus is? That's the question for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. For this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Thank you for a teenage girl that said, Yes, I trust you. I will do what you ask. Father, I pray that that's our response to those things that you require of us, that you ask of us, that we may not fully understand and comprehend, but that because of who you are and how you've been faithful in our life, we can say yes. My response 
to my Father, my response to my God, my response to my Jesus is yes. But we can only say yes if we're convinced, as Mary was. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.